is gold in them there wrinkles. Making friends and growing your business with baby boomers. Everybody likes a birthday. And on October 31st, 2011, the world celebrated the birth of our world's seventh billion human. My, how we've grown. In 1800, we barely mustered a population of a billion, and it took the next 130 years for us to reach two billion. In 1973, I had emigrated to Canada, and me and the rest of the world were well into procreation, and together we notched up 3.5 billion people in that year. Well, here we are less than 40 years later, and we've doubled that to 7 billion. That's quite, you know, it's exceptional, isn't it, really? In my professional lifetime, we've grown from 3.5 billion to 7 billion people on this planet. And what's more, we're en route to 9 billion by 2050. Media stories abound about the requirement to increase food output by between 50 and 100% to feed our population in 40 years' time. Food security is a hot topic linked with the need for us to produce more food using less resources and with a softer impact on our global environment. Too right, we will have to. It's revealing to take a more detailed peek into the demographer's population projections. Very roughly, of the 2 billion extra people we'll add to this Earth over the next 40 years or so, 1 billion will be in Asia, and most of the other extra billion will be in Africa. In global terms, it'll be up a jot in North and South America, not much, static at best in Western Europe, and likely down in Eastern Europe. Exporters and the international FMCG companies are drooling with excitement surrounding the opportunities in the high-growth Asian countries. But there's a worrisome question mark for Africa. Will the population surge be translated into exciting, additional, effective commercial demand, or will the result be social chaos and a heavy drawdown of world food aid? Mind you, half of the top ten fastest-growing economies in the world are in Africa, but the trouble is that their GDP is in the hands of the disproportionately few who are often difficult to budge politicians and the military who view trickle-down income to the poor as being derisable, not desirable. So, global population is growing, but it's not simply because we're producing more babies. Actually, the global birth rate has been declining for 20 years or more, driven by adoption of birth control practices, more education, particularly for girls, growth in income, which leads to parents electing to have fewer children. Of course, there's a one-child policy in China, more of that later, and urbanization. But the population is aging. We're living longer because of, well, for some, better diets and better health care, although too many are limping along in ill health. By the turn of the 20th century, the number of people older than 60 overtook those younger than 16 in the G7 countries, that is, the rich country club with USA, Canada, Germany, France, Italy, UK and Japan as members. By 2050, that's not too far away, there will be more people older than 60 than there will be younger than 15 worldwide. Globally, this older population is growing at more than double the rate of the population as a whole. Here's some more telling statistics if you haven't had enough. The 60-plus age group's share of national income 
is continuing to grow significantly in almost every country. And in France, Japan, UK, Germany, Belgium and Scandinavia, the proportion will exceed 30% by 2020. And much of this will be discretionary income. What's more, the oldies own 75% of the wealth. They're in that fortunate group that has paid off the mortgage and has little or no debt. In most cases, they will expect a lot from the state in terms of health care, pensions and other social services. Of course, the burden for paying the bill will fall on fewer, younger people entering the workforce who will resist any additional tax burden. There are clear tensions here, aren't there? The over-60 age group in the USA, for example, are three times more likely to vote than those under 30, and they carry substantial and increasing political influence. So, through this current decade, there will be a veritable avalanche of baby boomers heading into retirement. Although the current global financial turmoil may keep some toiling longer to compensate for pension income foregone as stock markets have collapsed. In the USA, for example, the percentage increase in the labour force accounted for those over 65 years is projected to be 80% in the period 2006 to 2016, whereas the 25 to 54-year-old group, the ones we normally associate with being in the workforce, is increased by a paltry 2%. I was talking to a senior officer from McDonald's Japan the other day, and he advised me to come to Tokyo and see at first hand what European consumer markets will look like in ten years' time. What was his point? Japan is about ten years ahead demographically of other developed countries. The current Japanese population of 128 million is expected to fall sharply over the next 40 years and reach around 100 million by 2050. By then, those over 60 will comprise 40% of the total population. Can you imagine that? Frankly, it's no surprise that grocery retailing is tough trucking in Japan. Walmart, which is Seiyu in Japan, hasn't made a dime of profit in the last eight years. Tesco has just pulled the plug in Japan. Each year, there are fewer and fewer shoppers. Think Germany, Italy, Spain, Russia. They're on the same track. Another dose of statistics, by 2020, the median age in India will be 28, but 37 in China, it's aging, 38 in the US, 45 in Western Europe, and 50 in Japan. So, what does all this mean to the food and drink industry? What's so different about us oldies? I'm one, by the by, I was 64 last birthday. First of all, oldies aren't homogenous. Segments include, there are many of course, those over 60 who have retired and are active, healthy, and their income is solely from their pensions. Financially, some are comfortable and some struggle. Then there's those over 75 who are socially active, gently crumbling, but are determined to remain in their own homes, something governments want them to do too. An increasing number who work in part-time, some for pay and others are unpaid carers for ageing parents. And some continue in full-time work, although if they have a partner, she or he may be more home-based. So conventional wisdom has it that retirees have oodles of time. But that's not my observation. Today's 60s and early 70s are often very busy, whether it be helping out with grandchildren or aged parents, putting in the odd days paid work, doing social or charitable work, pottering in the garden allotment. In fact, I often hear retired folks say, I don't know how I found the time to go to work. Also, in older age, preparing to do a few basic activities increasingly dominates the week. 
In response to an offer to take her out for the day, my 90-year-old mother-in-law may say, Oh, no thanks, I'm much too busy. I've got to go to the post office on Wednesday. My point being that we perceive we are time short throughout our lives and demand for convenience in services and products is enduring. From a food manufacturing perspective, keep in mind the household structure for oldies. Two people together, then down to one, usually a woman. Package size clearly is key here. Meals for two or solo meals. The Chilled Ready Meal offer in the UK provides a great example covering households of one or two at both ends of the age scale. Under 30s, picking up a ready-to-eat Indian, Chinese or Italian dinner on the way home from a takeaway or one to heat up from a convenience store, whereas over 60s may be opting for something more English, or perhaps lighter Mediterranean, from the nearby Tesco Express, Sainsbury's Local, or M&S Simply Food Store. Incidentally, the retail chilled ready meal business is worth US more than $2 billion, and Italian, the favourite, British, and Oriental-style meals comprise 90% of total sales. The huge growth in those over 75 living independently, the expansion of convenience retailing located close to to residences, and the growth of home delivery of groceries presents huge opportunities for the ready meal sector. Once my dad died, mum, who was a formidable chef, lost interest in cooking and chilled ready meals served her really well. Initially bought by my mum when she could walk to the nearby shop and later delivered to her home as she became less mobile. I'm arthritic and have been for 35 years. I've a particular axe to grind on the ease of opening of packaging. Most of it isn't easy. It's not just older folk who want consumer-friendly packaging, I might tell you. Have you also noticed in the supermarket the confusion caused by varying eyesight ability of, of shoppers? Under-30s, who can read a label from 20 metres, scowl and mutter darkly at over-40s, who are coming to terms with the need for reading glasses and have to stand mid-aisle to read shelf stickers, but they can't get a clear view for over-60s, peering nose-length at the product to work out if it's caffeinated or decaffeinated, or even if it's tea or coffee, for that sake. Are oldies obsessed with health and well-being? In a vain attempt to fix the ravages of time, poor diet and insufficient exercise? Well, to a degree, but they're not the top market for dietary supplements, and they're much more likely to acknowledge that the solution is in eating healthily, complemented by light exercise. Food and drink products that are linked with or can be consumed after light exercise provides a genuine market opportunity. U.S. data shows that exercise walking, golf, aerobic exercising, working out in clubs and at home are growing much faster than heavy-duty exercising, such as contact team sports. Again, it's the under-30s and over-60s that are leading the charge and not the flabby middle-years folks. What happens when you reach 60 is that you eat less. I mean, smaller portions apart from anything else. And you eat less of certain things, particularly meat. 
in most developed countries with relatively high per capita meat consumption, the red meat industry will come under increasing pressure. It's happening right now. Market volumes may grow, but only because of increased population. In contrast, per capita spend on fish increases with age. I expect to see older, poorer consumers in Europe increasing expenditure on industrially produced white meats, such as chicken, farm fish and pork, at the expense of premium-priced beef, lamb and wild-caught fish. However, not all is doom and gloom. The oldies who are comfortably off financially will eat less meat, but when they do so, they will be prepared to pay more for quality, for example, dry-aged, long-matured beef, rather than regular, sustainably... Oh, I mean, so dry-aged, long-matured beef, rather than regular beef, or sustainably sourced, wild-caught ocean turbot. Management consulting firm A.T. Kearney characterised mature consumers, as they delicate put it, as likely to shop more often. Mind you, that's a trend across the market in the UK. When stores are less busy, uh, the older they are, the closer to the home they shop, and may well walk there, maybe not in North, North America. Then. Uh, proximity of shop to home is a key reason for choice for oldies, and they spend proportionally more on food and non-prescription medicines, and less on clothes and transport. They do buy fewer items, but they tend to spend more per item. They seek quality, and they're willing to pay for it. They're brand loyal, not least to heritage brands. Older and richer consumers tend to trade up. They have a good look around. For example, in long-haul business class, who's there? It's increasingly populated by oldies, often having a whale of a time. Mind you, across the globe there are differences. Europeans and North Americans are brand loyal. Japanese preferred tailored, customised products. And low price is still paramount in emerging countries. And oldies, if they want something, they want it now. Why? In case it's too late, if you get my drift. They're not influenced overly by advertising. They made their minds up years ago. And many oldies are techno-savvy now, and they embrace online purchasing and its associated home delivery. Here's a few thoughts on the unique demographic situation in China. I was talking to Phoebe, my interpreter, on a recent visit to Guiyang. She is 32 and lives with her parents who are in their 60s. Phoebe said, Look, my generation, we're the only child generation. We're a product of our government's policy to control population growth. Our parents are ageing and in most cases have very modest pensions and don't own their own houses. Phoebe hopes to find a partner and marry. And her husband, if she finds one, will have two old parents to look after too, with no brothers and sisters to help out. Phoebe will want her own apartment, children, maybe a little car, and their incomes would be really stretched without looking after their parents. But remember, in Phoebe's culture, it's her responsibility and her husband's to look after and respect the older generation and not park them in an old folks' home like in the West. Personally, I see huge demographically-induced social tensions galloping towards China and, indeed, other emerging countries. Brazil, for example, currently has a worrisomely high proportion of GDP committed to cover pension liabilities. And the World Health Organization, even today, are flagging an impending health care cost crisis, not just in the pudgy, overweight, developed world, but in the developing world, where extremes of under- and overnourishment glaringly coexist. Hmm. Interesting, but uh, 
What's the implication for the international food industry? Well, much of the optimism that revolves around the future of global demand for food relies on the combination of increasing population and increasing real incomes, particularly in the emerging countries of the world, and assuming that global diets will somehow westernise, i.e. focus on more protein-rich foods such as meat and dairy. Well, OK, I get it in general. But let's remember that households in these emerging countries spend a high proportion of their income on food, as much as 50% or more. A combination of escalating and volatile staple food prices, such as rice, wheat, corn prices, and sharply rising non-food expenses, such as housing, transport, education, health care, the cost of looking after parents will serve to constrain demand for the higher-priced food products that we consider to have such a rosy future. What this tells me is that the global grocery retail market will become increasingly competitive. So what margin protection do you have to survive and prosper in these cutthroat markets? Market power is polarising. At one end are the life science companies who own the intellectual property associated with product attributes that deliver benefits that consumers value and pay more for. At the other end are powerful retailers and food service operators who consumers trust to a degree for their everyday shopping needs. And in the middle, everyone else gets the bejesus squeezed out of them unless they have some unique element or product or service that others value and will pay a premium for. Big FMCG players have great brands. At the more local level, smaller companies may have strong relationships with their individual customers and their products are wrapped in great stories. So, do you have a life belt? More positively, do you have the right motor to drive your business forward in a commercial environment that will be increasingly competitive? Exciting times or what? Just in ending, if you're still there, I'm tweeting, if you're interested. So try me on at Prof David Hughes. I just do one or two a week. It won't take too much time. Bye now.